0: You ever have so many questions and no one to ask, so they're just wasting away on Google searches you'll forget about in an hour or so. We had that same problem, and that's why we created the RD2B podcast, a resource for dietetic and nutrition students looking for answers that their peers don't have. We have students Macy and Emily and registered dietitian Carl Barnes. We engage in conversations and learn from RDS. Join us weekly as we gain insight into the unique journeys of registered dietitians all over the country. welcome back to another week of the rd2b podcast i'm your registered dietitian host carl barnes this our podcast for each week we sit down with a different registered dietitian to highlight the diversity of opportunity in the profession um, and we're continuing to go through not just highlighting dietitians but highlighting dietetic internships um, and programs to really showcase for students that are prospectively applying to these programs um, so this week we're sitting down with dr d from Kaiser University graduate (laughs) program. Very honored to have you here, ma'am. Thank you uh, so much for being here with us today. Thank you for letting me be here. I really appreciate that. As always, I'm Emily. You're already to be from University of Maryland, which is very far from Florida. Well, not too, too far, but you know. Too bad. Not too bad, just a few hour flight. So (laughs) Dr. D, I know you, you have some education in London. So for students that, you know, have a traditionally American education. What was it like being a dietitian over in London? Well, I'll tell you, I did my doctoral studies in London. I was part of
1: an international study in pediatrics. And while I was there, I was able to work as an administrative dietitian, a relief pediatric dietitian on weekends. And I worked in a doctor's surgery, surgery being a clinic in the national health system. So, I had a chance to see two different types of health systems and how the role of the dietitian is very different in those health systems. In the United Kingdom, community is very important. There's far more dietitians working in community doing home visits in the clinics with a strong prevention focus where it's a little different over here. We're a little bit more hospital orientated, but it was a great experience. I was able to enjoy and learn different cultures. I would say if you have a global opportunity, take it. It's fabulous. <laughs> Even I've, if I was doing a, di- a dissertation
0: over there. <laughs> you know what, if I have to do a dissertation, I'd rather it be in a beautiful foreign place with so much history than, you know, I don't want to say then America, but like to be able to travel and also get an education is just phenomenal. Well, what was kind of neat, because I was a student, I could get on
1: their national bus line and I could go over to the continent for the equivalent of $7. Wow. So that was a great way to go to the continent, uh, see the area but also to network with other RDs. So I had a chance to present in Europe as well as meet some fabulous RDs.
0: Still I'm keep sure. in contact with some of them. So that's pretty cool. Sure. <laughs> so how has the DI director's you know role changed over your time at Kaiser? I mean, like with like, you know, with applicants, you know, evolution, how has it changed? Well, I will share that I have been a program
1: director for all the routes towards registration. So I do understand from a DPD perspective, Mm -hmm. what do the students need when they start applying? I think one of the areas that I have noticed most is students don't have a problem telling you in their personal statement, I don't like food service. I'm never going to do food service. I don't even want to do the rotation. And that's not what you tell a DI director. What you want to say to me is that you're open to the diverse experiences of dietetics. And Even if you find that one may not be your favorite, you still respect it for the role it plays within our profession. But students now just tell you, they'll even come out and tell you, I don't even want to do that rotation. Well, Mm -hmm. you're going to do it and you're going to
0: smile and like it while you're
1: doing it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I like because, you know, obviously, I'm an undergrad. I remember when I was a sophomore, like I am gung ho for clinical, I'm going to love clinical. And then I went and I did some community stuff. I'm like, I can reach so many more people. So it's just, you know, making sure you're open minded to the opportunities, because your mind might change. And
1: I often say if retail maybe had been around when I was coming through, I may have liked that because every day is different. I'm teaching such a diverse population. I've got the grocery store right there as my learning platform, and I can go out into the community. Who knows? I may have
0: enjoyed retail. I just have to be open. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are some things that DI directors value in their applicants? I value, when I read your personal statement and I've actually limited
1: the wording now no disrespect, but I don't want to hear about grandma's illnesses all through her life. What I want to hear about is your passion and commitment to the profession. Even at this point, you may not know what area of dietetics you want to go into, but you realize that your the supervised practice is going to give you a little flavoring of that diversity. And that's important have someone read your personal statement. I look and actually my clinical coordinator and I have a rubric and we will circle spelling mistakes. I'm not so much if a comma is missing or that, but I look at the flow of your sentences because in graduate school, you're going to do a lot of writing. And there seems to be a weakness in that written communication that we are seeing. The same with your resume. Make sure your tenses are correct when you are giving us examples of your work. And it's okay if you didn't work in dietetics, because you're gonna talk to me about those transferable skills in that personal statement. And that's important for me to recognize that you see customer service process is all bound, uh, there's no limit to customer service, or time management or organizational skills. So I focus a lot on that. We of course do have to look at grades, and I have to make sure that your sciences, especially your organic chemistry, especially your advanced nutrition, and if you have to take a biochemistry, that you were able to pass them. You may not hear this from a lot of DI directors, but in some of those sciences, a C is a good grade because they can be very challenging. But then we're going to look at some of your key courses in your didactic. Of course, we're gonna look at your clinical. We look at community. I love to see how you did in food service, simply because when I, As you can probably tell, I went into management right away. I left my internship on Friday and I was a manager, clinical manager of a 1200 bed hospital that Monday. And all of a sudden I walked into the kitchen, total chaos going on, and I found that that was my home. And so I also went up the food service director's route. And so those transferable skills were very important it's important for me to see that you did pass food service. Even though you tell me I'm never going to do it, you could be in community and be having a feeding center. Mm -hmm. You've got to know food service. So we look at kind of key courses there, but we also look at your overall GPA.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. So what's something that, you know, already to be is need to prepare like for the profession that you think is typically overlooked?
1: Well, I'm gonna go back to that oral and written communication skills. When you're presenting to a preceptor or presenting to a DI director, you need to have those oral communication skills. If you were in my undergraduate courses, I counted how many ums, you knows, like, uh, because that, takes away from the content of the presentation and takes away from you as well. And so oral communication skills is very important. If we were in an interview right now, I'd be looking to see how many times you're looking to the side at your cell phone or looking down to your lap for your cell phone. You really need to put those cell phones aside and let us see who you are. A dependency we do see is that instead of critical thinking, and that's just simply asking the who, what, when, where, why, and how, you Google. And Google is not critical thinking. And so students really need to lose that dependency on Googling answers and start practicing critical thinking. If you're in a facility and you're the only dietitian. You're going to have to do some critical thinking there because Google's not going to be able to answer for you. So I think from a DPD standpoint, we need to focus on losing that dependency on allowing students to Google answers and practice our communication, both written and oral skills. Most definitely. So how long have you been a DI director? Oh, (laughs) I have been, as I said, I've been every route. Uh, I've been a director for every route that you can do for towards registration. And I probably started, you know, I got to think back, I finished my dissertation in 1994. And I started then being uh, a DPD. Actually, that was when Ascend allowed a program director to have multiple programs So I was the the DPD director, I was the CP director, and I had a master's DI with me as well. Now in 2011, I started, 2012, I'm sorry, 2012, I started the Distant Learning Internship Program. So I've been fortunate enough to experience all routes to registration, and so I'm gonna, say whatever route you do towards achieving your goals of becoming a dietitian, go for it. Of course, I'd like you to do a distant learning at Kaiser. However, the program has to fit the student.
0: Of course, and I think that's something that's really important that
1: you just said. It's very important that the program fits the student.
0: Mm-hmm. Most Definitely. So over all of those years of you, you know, being in the director role for DIs, I guess, more specifically, mm-hmm. kind of going back to those things that you think are overlooked, how do you think oral and written skills like compare to like the beginning? Like, do you think they've gotten worse with the technological age? Do you think they've gotten better? Do you think it stayed the same? Like, cause I know, I mean, I'm 21, right? I've grown up with technology. I'm gonna be applying to these programs. So many people are gonna be applying to these programs. Mm-hmm. It's something we have to be mindful of. So did have you noticed a decline, an incline or something stable in these skills? I, I would definitely say I have to
1: see a, a decline because you are comfortable with technology. You use technology very differently than I do. Let's go back to when I was in school that was in the dark ages when I went to school. And I had to go to books. I had to go to periodicals. I knew what the library was. And now if you can't find the answer by Googling, well, I get told there's just no answer. It doesn't exist. Yes, it does. It really does exist. And so sometimes we have to go back to, if you wanna call some of those old methods, of going back, even if it's an ebook, even if you're looking at articles online, you're going to evidence-based research. One obstacle students have, and again, I pull from multiple DPD programs all over the United States, and they allow the students to use websites as evidence-based research. If you give Dr. D a website, you get a zero. That is not evidence-based. You need to get out into those journals and you need to experience practice through Mm -hmm. the research of the journal, the actual application of the journal, because it's going to help you better understand. We give you all this knowledge, but what do you do with it? It's when you get into the internship and you actually get into practice. Mm -hmm. the the light bulb comes on and you understand why you took these courses and how they apply. In those journal articles, eBooks will also help you with that. So technology is great because I'm gonna tell you, my students helped me make this short PowerPoint and I think it looks pretty good. But when you're looking in, especially in graduate school, you've got to give us evidence-based research. So, don't depend on Google, get out there and see the wealth of information that exists through journals, through books, through webinars. Webinars are a great source of listening to practitioners. I so
0: like, go I ahead, like, honey. Sorry, you go.
1: No, I was just going to say technology is helpful. I'm not going to say it isn't,
0: but don't depend on it for all your answers. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite thing that you've said so far is, you know, just because it's not on Google doesn't mean it can't be found. That's <laughs> so true. Like a lot of people don't know how to navigate a library,
1: mm-hmm.
0: don't know like how to find certain sections. So I think that that's something really, Im- really important that we should know. Um
1: we should, and I haven't figured out when you're writing something and words, you, a word is underlined. Well, the computer, the program is trying to tell you something, click on it. Maybe it's misspelled. Maybe mm-hmm. it's telling you that if you're using APA format, you need to put a comma. That's a great source that I didn't have when I was going to school. For a distance program, we have an extensive online library, and during our residency students spend about four hours in an orientation, because so much is there for you. You just have to, like you say, kind of explore it. Look around the library and you'll be surprised what you can find.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I just asked Carl to go to the third slide, but I had a few questions about your, you know, obviously the DPD program. So, I know it's fully online. So, how long is your program? Or your DI, not DPD? How long, <laughs> okay. how, how long? How long is your program? Well, we
1: are unique in that we are, there are only two programs like this in the United States. Mm-hmm. The other program only takes from their DPD. It is an accelerated program. You are done in one year. Wow. So you will have completed a master's of science in nutrition and you'll be eligible to write the RD exam. How are we able to do that? The U.S. Department of Education, our regional accreditation agency, SACS, and ASCEND allows us to give you credit from the supervised practice because the assignments in the supervised practice are of graduate standards meeting the ascend core competencies for entry level practice. But every assignment you turn into us has to meet graduate standards. And that's why we were allowed through um, these accreditation agencies to be able to give uh, be able to offer a program in one year. Now it's rigorous. I'm not gonna tell you it is not because it's an accelerated program. You take one didactic course and you take one, we call it advanced practice course and that's the supervised practice concurrently. So while you are taking an online course in the evening, during the day, you are out in the supervised practice and we are accredited for 40 hours So you're out there five days a week completing the supervised practice. So it does make it a little more rigorous, accelerated. Time management skills are very important. So are organizational skills. But most of our students are very motivated to want to complete in a year to be able to take the exam and actually to begin working. So that's our unique
0: characteristic. We're done in one year. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is very unique. So how many people are accepted into your program because it is distance?
1: We normally take about in 8 to 10 students in our program, though we are accredited for more. We have found, I have students from Hawaii, I have students from Washington, I am from all over. And keeping in touch with our students is very important. So we talk to our students bi-weekly on an individual conference call. And then bi-weekly, we have a group Zoom meeting where both cohorts come together. It does help to serve as a mentoring for each other. We bring guest speakers in to help the students, again, learn actual practice and ask some questions. And so for us, having a smaller cohort allows us to have that ongoing communication. Faculty is readily available for students if you have questions. Myself, I'm better if you email me because I'm not real good with the cell phone. Clinical coordinator Mrs. Goldsby is very good with her cell phone. She's really on top of it. And so we we do tell you we are here for our students. And so having that smaller cohort makes it very manageable for everyone. We do spend the first week of your start date down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So students come in for what we call a week of residency. And that's where we go over the assignments and all the the food service, um, MNT and community. You have guest speakers, you have time with the online library. Uh, Blackboard is our learning platform, so we have time with Blackboard. I'm trying to think who, and now we will be having time with nursing as we move into the new 2022 standards. We'll be using their simulation labs to do some of the clinical teachings now that have come into the competencies. And so that gives us a really workable group. And you get to know Dr. D and Mrs. Goldsby and the other faculty, and believe it or not, I get to know you pretty quick too and so it's a great time to say hi how are you in person and we really like and we missed that during 2020 when because of COVID we could not have that face-to-face time.
0: I'm sure so I know that you mentioned that you take you know anywhere from eight to ten students how many students typically apply for your program?
1: Because we are distance and a lot of students still fear distance programs because how do I find preceptors? How do I find those preceptors? Uh, we average probably about 16 to 17 different applicants. I always tell the students when I have a chance to talk with them, believe it or not, back in the dark ages when I was doing this process, I did the exact same program. It was called a Master Six Month Work Experience, and I had to find my preceptors. I kind of understand the fear of that, but now distant, um, distant programs are far better known to preceptors. Preceptors understand these programs. And so if you reached out to a preceptor and the preceptor had questions, you can email myself or Mrs. Goldsby, our clinical coordinator, and we'll reach out and answer the preceptor's questions. We also have a preceptor handbook that we can provide the preceptors. So they have something that they can read as well. We we help you find preceptors. If we have a student applying from an er geographical area we have had students from, we'll share our preceptors with you. We encourage you to use the ASCEND preceptor locator that is in our student handbook as well as on our website. Now, this kind of goes against what Dr. D was just saying, but this is when Dr. D goes in and Googles, um, I've. We have, we've had a couple of students from Hawaii, from the different islands, and I will put their closest city or where they live, and I'll say within 50, 60 miles of this location. And that's another way in which we can begin to reach out and help students locate preceptors. So I guess Google does serve its purpose, despite <laughs> what I've already
0: said. I'm sure. So I know so, that you have internship rotations in, you know, California, Idaho, like it's kind of mentioned on the map. everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm in DC, for example, right? Oh, so we just have a student, this cohort from DC. Oh, great. Yeah. Right. So say I was applying to the program. When would I start looking for preceptors? How would I go about that? And when would I, you know, have to share those preceptors with you? Well,
1: if you, if you go to our website, you will see that we do ask, if possible, to submit a rotation schedule with your diecast material, put it under supplemental. Our program's a little longer. Because we are distance, I can't go to the site. I can't personally meet you. We are 1,320 supervised practice hours. Now, some students say, wow, that's so much. Believe me, it's very doable in the year. But what it has done for us is your medical nutrition therapy, you do 640 hours. Your community is 520 hours. Your food service is 160 hours, especially in MNT, because that's really one of the most challenging rotations. And it was back when I was doing an internship The extra time we give you helps to assure us that you are getting the actual experience and mastery of the clinical competencies and you're seeing actual practice. We also realize with MNT, can take you about a week to get to know the hospital, to get to figure out which RD or what rotation you're going to be doing. So we allow that time to help reduce your anxiety so that when you actually go onto the floors, you have the confidence that you need to start the learning process and application. Again, we, we are all over the United States. We ask that you start. When you begin the process of looking at our um, internship, you can email us and students often do. Dr. D, would this site meet for community and I'll go and I'll take a look at that site and many times it does. For community and food service, we realize that students may not always be precepted by an RD. You may be precepted by a public health specialist who is qualified to give you that rotation. You may be precepted by a chef for food service. But for clinical, MNT must always be an RD. There are no exceptions to that. We have to have the RD. So for community and food service, there's a wealth of opportunities of sites that you can use. For food service, you can use school food service, hospitals, rehabilitation centers, or how about Meals on Wheels that has their own kitchen? That's a perfect example of a community feeding site. And maybe you can do your rotation at the Meals on Wheels site as well, working with a dietitian. For community, we have a diversity. A Lot of students do sports, of course Head Start, WIC. You may have a local agency like we have down in South Florida, it's called Flippany, and they go out into the community and do educations. They do sports um, events, promoting uh, um, exercise. And so there's a lot that you can do. With MNT, we do require a minimum of eight weeks of hospital. The more hospital experience you can get, and Carl, you'll probably agree with me on this, really the better you are. I had an intern call me and say, Dr. D, they want me to do 12 weeks of clinical. I said, did you say thank you? She said, yeah, is that okay? I said, I'm doing a happy dance with you. It's wonderful. We also realized that because of the different geographic locations, not all students may get the same specializations in the hospitals. So we do use some simulations for For example, if you're in a community hospital, you may not get the depth of oncology. So we do have a simulation that we work with you through in one of the didactic courses, we do have simulations also in supervised practice, just to give you exposure to maybe some of the clinical areas that you may not have seen at the hospital. We try in the end in MNT to give a very good Overview of the different specialties that are out there. And clinical sometimes is the hardest, especially in some of the rural areas. So you have your MNT, you could do three to four weeks of long-term care, you could go into dialysis, you could go into a cancer center, you could go into a diabetes center. So we are flexible in putting that clinical rotation together. However, you've got to have at least eight weeks in the hospital. The more, take it. I always tell them and say thank you <laughs> and
0: just smile. <laughs> I guess I can, I'll talk a little. So in my area, you know, we have Johns Hopkins. We have oh, Johns yes. Hopkins yes. Sibley. We have Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. um, University of Maryland Medical Center. So all those hospitals, for the most part, are Incorporated with a dietetic internship already. So, for this area, how would you know a student, you know, in a in an area where the hospitals are already used by another program, how would you suggest for those students to go about getting a clinical rotation?
1: A lot of times, they are they have exclusive affiliation agreements with these hospitals, mm-hmm. and I'll be honest, I do respect why they're doing it because they're assuring their cohorts of a rotation. However, having been a DPD director and you have a DPD program, what about those graduates as well? So sometimes what students have to do is you might have to drive about 30, 40, 50 miles to get to a site that is not uncommon. Even in an on-ground dietetic internship, you may have to drive. I'll be honest with you, many students have grandparents that live in Florida and they'll come down, especially for their medical nutrition therapy rotations, and stay with grandma and grandpa, and we will work with them to find rotations in that area. We have that a lot. We get a lot of students who will relocate. Some relocate to Arizona if they have a family member who is there. Texas seems to be another area that we see a lot of Uh, relocations, but we do have facilities in your area that are currently taking a student and so we will share that with our potential candidates as well. We also will call um, uh, facilities in an area and ask them if they would consider to take one student during this time if it's not in conflict with the other students rotations. So we do work around it.
0: Great. And then I guess, you know, since you have an accelerated program with your students graduating their dietetic internship and a master's within one calendar, one academic year, mm-hmm. what are some things that you try to organize in your curriculum to ensure that dietetic interns leave your program beyond prepared?
1: And that's a good question, because no matter what program I was in, Director of, I had to make sure that my students were qualified to move into the next component of their education or to move into the workplace. The didactic courses that our students take represent the major areas of dietetics. You take management, you take community, and you take clinical probably the greatest learning occurs in the supervised practice. And as we design our courses, we relate them to practice, as well as to the entry level competencies of ASCEND, which uh, says we're getting you ready for entry level practice. In the residency, we find this more and more, many didactic programs are not teaching TPN anymore. We hear the internship will teach you and they come to us very weak in tube feedings as well. COVID caused problems because students couldn't actually practice nutrition focused physical assessment on each other. And so what we do is we look at the different, I don't want to say areas of weakness but areas of concentration that we need to focus on during residency to give that student some experience, some hands-on practice, and increase their confidence. So we use residency very heavily during uh, that week to help that student compensate for what they may have not received during the DPD. One thing COVID has done is students have not been able to practice nutrition counseling face-to-face. And so we are doing some nutrition counseling face-to-face during our residency as well. We really think we've got a good program that we have put together that we are always trying to improve. So student feedback to me as program director about their site and when they have graduated is very important. And I take that seriously in incorporating improvements into our program.
0: I'm sure. So when your students are sitting to take their exam after the year, what's typically your exam pass rate? I have a good pass rate,
1: though I will be honest with you, I'm still waiting to see my 2020 because that group did not have hands-on experience. Mm
0: -hmm. Everything
1: was virtual. Mm -hmm. So I am anticipating a lower pass rate because of that lack of actual practice. However, we were in our pass rate ranges between um, high 80s, low 90s. We use Visual Veggies software as the practice mock RD exams. now. We do it a little differently in that our program is three semesters, and in each semester, you have two terms, two eight-week terms. So that first term, you're just learning visual veggies and getting used to taking an exam on the computer. Starting term A, what you submit to us is one full mock RD exam. we wait the exam. So we waited by saying to get credit for this assignment, you need to get x percentage of a score. Now we're not starting out saying you've got to get 100%. We realized that this is a new experience. And the mocker D exam is going to represent the entire curriculum. And you have forgotten, we all did from our undergraduate. So each term, we weight the exam a little heavier. And so it's an incentive to get our students to practice. We used to do actual practice, submit the scores, and to be honest, students did not take that seriously. It's when we actually started to weight practice mock RD exam that we have seen improvements in our scores. Let me also share, and this is in the handbook and on the website, to graduate our program in your third semester, you must get eight full practice mock RD exams with an 86 or higher. If you have been practicing, then that's not difficult to achieve. If you've not been practicing, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. The students who practice, the students who do well in that last semester do well on the RD exam.
0: I'm sure. And that's awesome for students to keep in mind as well, that they shouldn't only start practicing right before the exam happens. Oh, they they do.
1: (laughs) That's why why we took out the, the practice exams and said, what we're going to do is wait the full marker, exam. They need to get used to taking the exam on a computer. They need to get used to that time limit that there is to the computer. And so they also need to start practicing reading the question. Read what the question is asking you. Usually can eliminate two of those answers. If you've read the question thoroughly, you should be able to decipher which answer is the best selection. So we're always telling them to practice,
0: practice. Most definitely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. D, for sitting down with us today. I really appreciated it and learned so much about you know the, <laughs> the Kaiser University program.
1: Well, I'll tell you, whatever program a student goes into, I've been a dietitian for a while. I'm fairly seasoned, as I would say. And I've never regretted being a dietitian. I have the privilege of preparing the future profession of a profession I have loved for close to 40 years. I am excited to be able to do that.